All right, boys. Uh, since today is our first official NBA podcast, I decided to go ahead and put something under your seats to commemorate this special occasion. So why don't you uh, click that audio file I sent your way? Oh, no, I'm, I'm nervous. You shouldn't be. Uh-oh. Be prepared. Okay, here we go. We, we now have a royalty-free, licensed-free version of Round Ball Rock from NBA on NBC. And let me tell you what. How did you get that? I, I created that. I, re, I reverse-engineered that. <laughs> now we can... How do you know that, 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 that we're not going to get sued? No, because it falls under copyright fair use parody. It is a parody of the song with similarities, but no actual one-to-one things. The only <laughs> thing they have in common is that they are high-flying, energetic basketball themes designed to get you excited for a great NBA matchup. The distinctions are clear, and the comparisons end there. If you say anything else... That round ball rock and shot clock stonk are the same. You're completely wrong. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I am absolutely soaked with energy right now. That's that's the power of shot clock stonk. Reese, did you shot clock stonk? I, I'm not gonna lie. What I thought that was gonna be before I hit play was just like an audio recording of three, two, one, stonk, like the buzzer. Oh, that's a really good idea. Reese, too. did you hire a, a a lawyer? to talk to about do 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 i have to pay the lawyer now as well uh no it's uh one descriptor is check out 1990s ecw wrestler themes they're like <laughs> some guy will come out to even flow by pearl jam like it's so obviously supposed to be that song but it's not armando it's we like, all know you're not paying anybody Whoa! <laughs> that's true, because I don't have any money. But so, that's also why I'm the finance guy here. I have to make sure that our money is going to the right use and not for song lawyers. But I love it. And with that, hello and welcome to this weekday episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a program made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, and along with my good friends and colleagues, Reese and Kyle, we'll be presenting our first Midwest Bias podcast. I thought this was supposed to be small market bias, and the fact that you change it to Midwest Bias makes me think that you're covering your ass as a Lakers fan, because the Lakers are a trash franchise. Wow, okay, I haven't even started yet. No, I actually got that wrong, um, but I'm not going to change it. Sorry, uh, our small market bias podcast. Blah, 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 blah. It is just a great irony that the words small market bias can come out of your mouth while you wear a Lakers jersey. I know, because I'm big time, baby. I am big time. That's why. So our small market bias episodes will focus on sports outside of the realm of Kansas City while still maintaining that Kansas City hot take fire. I don't think you can go back on this. I think that because you said Midwest bias, it has to stay Midwest bias now. So now that's like our official. I don't know. Small market bias rolls off the tongue. That is a two thirds vote, Kyle. And we're keeping it. All I'm saying is this was this was a Freudian slip. This was (laughs) absolutely a Freudian slip on your part. It wasn't a Freudian slip. I I printed it out. I sent you guys what I put. You could have edited it out. I let you walk into it because I wanted this to happen. 
Great, because you're about to walk into another thing right now. So today we're about to burst your bubble with our first NBA podcast, The Bubble Edition. But before we talk about that, Kyle was trying to redeem himself before I roast him right now. So for, <laughs> for the fans out there, uh, we actually almost never had an NBA podcast on the Fountain City Sports Media. I want to take you guys back to when, uh, before we became public, before we became a public company, Kyle was very enthusiastic about this podcast, just like we, we all were, and before that, we had been working on The Last Dance. In fact, we did a lot of NBA uh, podcasts before we went public. So me, I was uh, pretty enthusiastic about the podcast and thought of a lot of ideas. One of the ideas was this exact podcast, doing a playoff prediction. Or Kyle, my uh, trusted colleague, goes... Nah, screw that shit. We're doing we're doing F1 open wheel. Blam, blam, blam. First of all, you know that's absolutely not true because I live for this month more than any month out of the year. So you know that's not even true. Reese, Reese, can you chime in? What, you live for any given August basketball? <laughs> well, fair enough. This is this is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a budget playoffs for sure. But anybody who's a friend of mine knows that this is my favorite time of the year. NBA playoffs, like, I, I live for this. So the idea that I wouldn't want to do this podcast is absolute bullshit. And you know that. Reese, would lawyer Reese, will you attest to that when we were talking about this podcast, he was more enthusiastic about uh, cartwheels over, um, over the NBA? Why are you hating me for liking multiple things? <laughs> Why is that so anathema to you? Let Reese speak, please. Reese is on the stand. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Using my wisdom of Solomon to recall some prior events, I do believe at one time that Kyle was more excited about Pagano than Mo Williams. Blam blam blam. Or he was more excited. He was more excited about F one than who's number one. Hey! That doesn't even work. It works in my mind. Keep keep I trying. Like keep trying. So anyway, no, I do remember at one point that he was uh, excited about an F1 podcast, which will still happen at some point. I mean, this is this is the uh, small market bias podcast where anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to it. It's going to be great. So but, anyway, so just want to put that caveat out there while Kyle spews whatever knowledge he thinks he has about NBA. I just want our fan base. You guys. I, oh, my just, God. You guys just like pissing me off. It's like a pastime. It's just a pastime to make me mad. Because here at Fountain City Sports Media, we like to be honest with our fans. We don't like to fabricate. We want you guys to know exactly what's happening outside of the podcast. And that's what's happening. I'm just already incensed and we haven't even started the first segment. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little concerned that it took all of what? eight or nine episodes for us to turn to pure gotcha media <laughs> I, know, I know we're like we're, we're like not even getting paid to do this but we're just doing it already we're like burning down our friendships just for the <laughs> show it's like it's like skip bayless becoming skip bayless without the like five million dollar incentive to become skip bayless you know how else we're not getting paid uh and i take this to heart big time so i contacted patreon because you can't google search for our patreon page and our patreon page doesn't even show up using the patreon search bar on the website so i contacted tech support and said hey you know we're not showing up anywhere the, am i doing something wrong i think everything's all set up right and i got an answer from somebody who was very polite but was like oh well you won't show up in search bars until you start generating some revenue considering you don't have any people subscribing right now it means you can't generate revenue generate revenue and you'll show up in searches 
And I'm sitting here thinking, well, how are we going to generate revenue if we're not showing up in searches to begin with, you know? So this is my this is my very gauche pitch right now. If you'd like to become a friend of the podcast for as little as $2 a month, go check out our Patreon at patreon.com backslash Fountain City SM. I'm going to double check that really quick. Watch <laughs> uh, it be some other site. Um, anyway... <laughs> Our Fountain City page uh, is too long and too many backslashes and digits for me to say out loud, so <laughs> I will post this in the description. Feel free to check out the description below of this podcast. Become a friend of the podcast for as little as $2 a month. You know, it's, it's a great way to get a shout out and just to, to be heard, you know? So so go check it out. I'm done with I'm done with my pitch for today. Reese is fired up about Patreon, and Kyle is fired up about the NBA because he's trying to overcompensate about loving open-wheel sports. And with that, here we go! Our first topic, we talk about the bubble and the bubble playoffs. But before we talk about the playoffs, I actually want to talk about what happened before the playoffs. There was a lot of great storylines that aren't just your generic, you know, the Lakers are the best team in the NBA, the Clippers are the best team in the NBA, a lot of awesome stuff. So I'm going to throw this to whoever wants to start. Did the 8-0 and Phoenix Suns deserve a ninth spot? Should there have been a play-in game for the play-in game? No! Are you kidding me? You can't just like sleep through the entire semester course, show up to your teacher's desk a week before finals and be like, can I get some extra credit so I can make the playoffs? No, you have to play well the entire season. They did the equivalence in this bubble where everybody's just trying to, everybody knew the spots. They were just trying to tune up, figure out their lineups, see how some injured people were doing coming back. And just, like, not coast into the playoffs, but get ready for the playoffs. Phoenix is the guy at the end of the game who the game's over, they inbounds it, and they still try and steal it. It's like, yo, like, freaking knock it off, man. Phoenix tried to sneak into the playoffs, and they were completely undeserving. But, Reese, what if what if Devin Booker, DeAndre and Ricky Rubio, during the quarantine, they all got together, they got super zen, they started going through the playbook, and they're working every single day to get ready for the for, for the bubble, and it worked. I am Phoenix Suns hot right now. Devin Booker is good. He's not great yet. He could be great, but he's not great yet. Because if he was, they wouldn't have been sitting like 10 games under 500, scrapping to make the playoffs while everybody goes into some sort of Pauly Shore quarantine bubble. I want to take a bit of a different angle and say that we wouldn't even be having this conversation if Milwaukee kept their together and beat Memphis. I understand it was a tune-up game and I understand that they wanted to load manage before the first round of the playoffs. It's just upsetting that we got that half-ass game. Well, it was actually a pretty good game, but that we got that game between Memphis and Portland when we could have had Phoenix and Portland. But don't we get that stuff in other sports, especially the NFL as well, where a team will be kind of load managing and resting their playoffs in week 17 and subsequently, you know, like a 500 Raiders team is going to have to scrap real hard and beat the second string of like the Chiefs in order for them to make the playoffs? Except that's not what happened in this situation. How is it not what happened? Like, because Phoenix was playing way better than Memphis and Phoenix is not set by injuries like Phoenix Memphis was is. not playing way better so that, than Memphis Phoenix like I said was just trying to like sneak their way to a passing grade they were absolutely <laughs> playing better than Memphis 
Memphis either blew teams out or got blown out in the bubble. Phoenix went 8-0. How are you going to tell me they're playing better? Than, how are you going to tell me Memphis is playing better? Did Phoenix blow anybody out? I saw them win two of their first three games in the bubble by a single basket. If those go the other way or start in the bubble, one and two with a completely different story. Reese, you're telling me right now that if you put a team that goes 8-0 next to a team that sometimes blows other teams out and sometimes gets beat by 25... You're going to take that team over the 8-0 no team. Would, would I rather have a team that has a slow, painful drip and lose to the Lakers 4-0 to in the first round? Or would I rather have a team like the Grizzlies who might sneak a few games from the Lakers in the first round? I know which one I want. Are you really telling me that you don't want to see Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton against Damian Lillard, Melo, and Nurkic? Ugh. Troll Reese has arrived. Cut. Heated Kyle has arrived. This is the NBA podcast, baby. Okay, I'm going to... I'm going to agree with both of you here. I think that the Suns should have had a play-in game into the play-in game. (laughs) A play-in into the play-in. I I think that the Suns deserve to be in a play-in game with the Blazers. It it would have been a better game, but I also don't think there should have been a a play-in game for the play-in game because it's like the college football playoff where where there's eight teams and everyone's like, well, now there should be 10 teams. Well, now there should be 12 teams. Well, and then don't forget Boise State. And then don't forget, like... There has to be a cutoff at some point, so it just sucks for them that they just got the bad luck of the draw. And one one more thing, I think that Devin Booker is the most underrated player in the NBA right now. He, he was averaging 26 points a game the entire season, and he scored 35 against the Clippers, 35 against the Heat, 35 against the 76ers with Ben Simmons, and then 35 against Kyle's beloved Thunder as well. Almost triple-double, actually, against 76ers. I think he's lights out. If I'm Devin Booker, I'm calling my agent today and saying, get me out of Phoenix. And there we are. You only like Devin Booker because you can't wait to see him throwing an alley-oop to Anthony Davis wearing purple and gold in the next two, three years. Is this where we talk about how Armando's a traitor to his hometown? Yeah, what's going on here? Benedict Armandold. What does that mean? <laughs> Kyle, where, where, where was I born? Where was I born? Fair enough. I actually don't know where you were born. LA, baby. Yes, for the record. I was born in LA, but but I, I did leave. I did leave. I did live in Phoenix for a very long time. I lived in Phoenix, like right when Shaq and Kobe just meshed, like '99. So I was made fun of a lot in school, but I took it. I took it because L, because I got all these rings on me. <laughs> I got so many rings to to slap all the Phoenixers. I'm just gonna say Joaquin Phoenix won an Oscar. La La Land did not. <laughs> sit on sit what? on that one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Holly, Hollywood conspiracy over there. Uh, oh, I had something good for this. Actually, real quick, before we move on to that, I want to say that I do think that rule was actually stupid, where it was like it was a caveat for the seeding games. If, if you all remember that the only way that there would be a play in game was if a team was within four games back of the eight seed. So it was a non-issue in the East because the Wizards were so bad. Correction, that rule was only a rule because the commissioner was sitting there like Hans Blofeld in his swivel chair and cat trying to get the Pelicans into a playoff spot. <laughs> Let's be clear, Adam Silver is a friend of the podcast. Adam Silver is a friend of the podcast. I wish Adam Silver was a friend of the podcast. And now going into our next topic, thank you, Reese, for bringing up the Pelicans. Are the Pelicans the most disappointing team in the NBA? Yes. Why? <laughs> because of all the manufactured hype surrounding Zion. We, we, we can be realistic about Zion being a rookie all we want, but the fact that there's so much hype around the Pelicans this season 
makes them the most disappointing team just because we've been shoehorned this fantasy tale that they were going to be some LeBron killer in the first round. Well, I know you're saying the manufactured talk around Zion and how good the Pelicans were supposed to be, but here's the thing. I think it's kind of similar, the lack of success despite the manufactured hype for the Pelicans and Zion. It's similar to in 2019 when the Cleveland Browns acquired OBJ and they had Jarvis Landry and they had Baker Mayfield and everyone started calling them Chiefs killers, which obviously we know how that one turned out. Also, Armando, why do you look so shocked? Because, remember, the Blazers went to the Western Conference Finals last season. Okay, and they played incredibly well in the bubble. Dame Dame Lillard could be considered the... I mean, I don't want to go into our Bubble Boy Awards yet. They played absolute trash basketball before the bubble. Okay, but they played really well in the bubble, and they are also, like, one of the dark horses to win the NBA Finals now. That's fine. Now they are. So, they're great. They're not disappointing. Yeah, I'm, I, I would say they are disappointing. They should be in a 4-5 seed. Okay, fair. I don't think that they're the most disappointing. I still think that the, the Pelicans are the most disappointing team, and not because of Zion, but I think there was a conspiracy. That's right. Hot take Mondo coming into conspiracy Mondo. There was a conspiracy to fire Alvin Gentry, and here is why. When we went into the bubble, we were thinking that they were going to get that play-in seed. Maybe they weren't going to get the 8th seed, but they were definitely going to get the ninth seed because they were so much better than the Grizzlies. They were better than um, the Kings. They were better than the Suns before all this had happened. Well, what happens in Game 1? Zion's minutes are still restricted. He had three months of sitting on the couch and they were still restricting Zion's minutes. That's a straight up conspiracy. They they decided to toss in the towel for the bubble. And who is the president of the Pelicans? David Griffin, who is now the person that's going to take over Alvin Gentry's spot per reports? Tyron Lue. Who is David Griffin's former coach? Tyron Lue. Conspiracy? I think so. Well, I hear your conspiracy, but I'm going to ask you a counter question to that. How much do you think they're actually load managing Zion for the sake of tanking and not making the playoffs versus how much do you think they're worried they have the next Greg Oden on their hands? No. Uh, have you seen him I'm play? Zion's still a go freak. Through option well, one. No, Greg Oden. <laughs> how dare you compare Zion to Greg Oden? Greg Oden was a physical freak with minimal actual talent as well, but what happened to him? He busted his knee out because he was a physical freak and he never recovered from it. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, okay, so so Greg Oden already had issues in the past at Ohio State. Not only was it that, but also his his feet. And when you have messed up feet as a big man, you know you're in trouble. I think Zion came back pretty well this season. You can't name one significant injury that he's had this season where Greg Oden, when he was a rookie, you could already tell that he was banged up and was already tired. I absolutely can name a Zion significant injury that happened. Does anybody remember him blowing out a shoe and messing up his leg last year? Well, yeah, yeah, in Duke. Yeah, that was right. exactly when he was when he was at Duke in college. I totally can see that. But now that he's in the NBA, I haven't seen anywhere tear. He's been able to play against Giannis, play against LeBron, and he's been pretty scary. He's put up some great numbers. I love Zion. I have nothing bad to say right now. And I was actually a Zion hater because he's so small. But then when I started to see him play, I was like, wait, this dude's better than Charles Barkley. I don't know. I think injuries have a way of quietly stacking up on you because what happened to Derrick Rose? Derrick Rose had injuries while he was playing college growing up. And then what happened when he finally got in the NBA? He looked good for a bit and then hurt his knee, never totally recovered from it. That's what I'm getting at with Greg Oden, though. It's like with these, you know, super strong, just like, you know, mad, crazy bodied individuals 
those injuries come amplified the same way that like your physical specimen skills are amplified. And that's what I would worry about with Zion. Because they tried rushing Greg Oden out too soon. Those started stacking. They tried rushing Derrick Rose out too soon. Those started stacking. I wouldn't want to stack Zion's injuries potentially. I mean, Reese, to your point, I totally agree with you that there is a chance that Zion can re-injure what he got in college and it could be potentially very damaging. But when you are trying to make the playoffs and you have a pretty legitimate team and you've had rest for three months and could have rehabbed whatever injury you could have had, when when is there a better time for you? Is he always going to have minute restrictions then according to your I mean, if 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 we go with your scenario, is he always going to be minute restricted then because he can always be viable for injury? No, but what's the point of risking your centerpiece for your franchise for the next 10 years in this farcical playoff bubble NBA final situation. Farcical! Even if they they did somehow make it into the playoffs, do you think they're getting through this murderer's row of a Western Conference with a banged up Zion and a team full of like okay players? What's the opportunity cost there? But Adam Silver would have loved those dollars of a one and eight seed LeBron and Zion. It's like a it's like a Michael Jordan versus those Celtic versus that Celtics team. It could have been something like that. A prophetic playoff. What series. Adam Silver wants is irrelevant to what the New Orleans Pelicans want for their next 10 years. And if Adam Silver's smart, which I know he is, he wouldn't want Zion getting injured as well because he plans on making him the face of the NBA for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Look, all I'm saying is when when then a better time than having like a, a three and a three and a half month break where you are probably at your most healthy since Duke. Next question. Is this the most leveled competition in the NBA since 2010 when LeBron left Cleveland for Miami? That's an interesting question. I would say yes, but we knew that from the offseason last year because Kawhi sent those dominoes that direction. Like we already knew it was going to be that level of parity again. Um, So none of this is surprising to me. Well, not necessarily because of the Lakers and Clippers. How about the whole battle of LA? Yeah, fine. But also, I mean, remember the whole storyline of like it, it becomes a league of like two superstars instead of three all the way through the East and the West. And so even though Toronto has overachieved, there were people thinking that they would again be a powerhouse Uh, again before the Ben Simmons injury. People thought Philly would be a powerhouse, Boston, Milwaukee, even Portland before they had their downturn. Okay. So, so the reason why I asked this question is because during the bubble, we've seen these huge giant teams look not so giant, right? We've seen LA lose to some pretty bad teams. And then we've also seen Clippers not be fully healthy as well and have a lot of people outside the bubble, either by injury or by having a little too much fun, a la Lou Williams, who didn't look good last night. I digress. But both those teams do not look like giants like they used to. Let's also look at the Bucks. Like the uh, Houston Rockets played really well against the Bucks. The Bucks don't look super dominant. Um, we're going to talk about Toronto later, but Toronto is now looking like they might be able to um, to forge their way into the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe the Finals. So for me, anything can happen in the bubble. Reese doesn't like the whole bubble. He thinks it's a farce, but I love the bubble because anything can happen. I love all these teams. I think the Nuggets are playing well. The Blazers are playing well. The Lakers will get it together, hopefully. The Clippers played okay. Dallas played really well last night. I love the parody happening right now in the NBA. The bubble is what we needed. 
I, I think my answer is yes, the, the level of parody is great, but also, and, and yes, the bubble has something to do with it, but also I think that these these teams that largely got set up because of that first step of Kawhi leaving Toronto for the Clippers last year, I think we, we already were going to be set up for this kind of NBA season, and even though the Lakers put together a massive amount of wins in the regular season. Milwaukee was dominant in the regular season and all that. That doesn't change the fact that a lot of these other challenger teams are pretty talented and have played well throughout the regular season. So you can make the the point that the bubble, because there's no home court advantage, really, that the bubble is going to promote more parity and more upsets. Yes. But I think it's it's just maybe a slight magnification of the possibilities that were already there. Okay, so now we are going to go into our next segment. We're going to recap some of the games that happened yesterday. It was a pretty interesting playoff. Um, not really some upsets, but some really interesting play that was happening. The first game that we saw was the Utah Jazz versus the Denver Nuggets, and it was quite a shootout. And so I'm going to throw a question to you guys. What duo would you rather have? Jamal Murray and the Joker or Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert? I'd say Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, if only for the big reason that I know he's come into the bubble technically slimmed down and in better shape, so to say. But Joker does have a habit of getting winded late in games. And, you know, ask me this question again if they make it to the second or third round of the playoffs. I might have a different answer for you. But I think until I see that he's not going to get winded in a game or even going like to a deep seven game series and then subsequently a deeper playoffs, I can't go with Joker. I think this question is a little bit of a false dichotomy because the best players on these two teams are clearly George Niang and Monte Morris. Go Cycles. Get out of here. <laughs> Where's the mute button? He's on mute for 15 seconds. He's in the isolation booth. <laughs> now that's now that is a parody. Friend of the podcast, friend of the podcast, Monte Morris, friend of the podcast, George Niang. No, uh, but I I agree with Reese. Um, well, uh, well uh, it's it's tough, but I... I, I the real kicker here is I'm going to take Mitchell over Jamal Murray. Um, and so that tips the scales to Mitchell and Gobert. I could I, I could make the case to take Jokic over Gobert just because I think Jokic has a little, a little more or some more weapons as a two-way player than Rudy Gobert. But uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with Reese. How about you? I want to jump on to what you said and say that I think Jokic is a better player than Gobert. But I think subsequently he's more important to his team than Gobert is. So it just highlights it even more when the end of the games he starts getting gassed or starts picking up those lazy fouls. You know, it's it's going to hurt the Nuggets more than Gobert maybe getting a little bit fatigued at the end of a deep game. Yeah, and that's actually why I brought up the question because if if I would have said, would you take Mitchell over Murray then I think it's clear that we would all take Mitchell, but because they are so different of a duo pairing, I think it's a really fun question to have because uh, Donovan Mitchell scored 57 points. Like, like if, if you didn't know who won that game and I told you Donovan Mitchell scored 57, Rudy Gobert was 17 and 11, you would probably say, oh yeah, Utah won. But the Nuggets are super interesting because you have this pairing with Murray and Jokic and Murray's like super confident now, which you didn't see last year. Um, and he, he I forgot how many, he he was six for nine in the three point, uh, in three point range, which is pretty amazing. Jokic was four for seven and their like pick and pop play was really interesting at the end of the game 
because Murray can take three-pointer or Jokic doesn't have to go into the center and square up on, on Gobert. He can still pull out and like make a really nice jumper. So that was really awesome. And I also don't want to sleep on our boy Michael Porter Jr. Um, I know Kyle loves some Michael Porter Jr. because Kyle loves Mizzou. Uh, but he's playing really well. He came out of nowhere. Like, like Michael Porter Jr. was was not supposed to be this great. Pl- he was supposed to be a great player, but then he got injured at Mizzou, I believe, and then his stock just went like super down. But he's still a very dynamic player. And don't forget they have Paul Millsap as well. Jeremy Grant, you you guys love Jeremy Grant because he was on the Thunder. Very versatile player and someone that can guard those like big time players like Mitchell and can guard people that can score really well. So I I actually really like the Nuggets chance right now. If I'm the Lakers, I'm scared of the Nuggets if I if I have to see them. Uh, we also didn't see any play from Bull Bull, which I was pretty upset about. I want to see some Bull Bull who went to Blue Valley North. I have another question for you guys. Okay, so uh, ba- Battle of the Bench is here. Do you take Monte Morris and Jeremy Grant? Oh my gosh! Or do you take Jordan Clarkson and George <laughs> Niang? Uh, I take Royce White and uh, and uh, Larry Eustachy. Serious question? Come on, humor me. George Niang sucks. <laughs> George Niang is pretty bad. I hate Jordan you Clarkson guys. Clarkson is very good. Yes, but don't but don't put him as the like as the fire for the bench. <laughs> Okay, let's jump off of the Jazz and Nuggets and let's move to Toronto and the Nets. So that game pretty much sucked. And I know this isn't going to capture who the Raptors are because the Nets literally are going off of fumes. But the Raptors have been very consistent in the bubble and have super swag, not Drake swag, as we've talked about. This is like this is some pretty legit swag. So question for you guys. Toronto, are they fine without Kawhi? Uh, putting aside the bias of the individual who attended my hometown college team, <clears throat> Nick Nurse, you and I represent, uh, I'm going to say this. How many times before have we seen Toronto without Kawhi Leonard get a top two seed in the conference, look really well-rounded all season, get to the playoffs, and then lose it? The only time they've been managed to get over the edge is when they had Kawhi Leonard on their team. He's not there anymore. I've seen this song and dance before. Now they don't have Kawhi Leonard or DeRozan, so they're down two star players. If they can get it over this hump, Nick Nurse is greater than Popovich. I'll say that right now. Although, it's my sworn duty to point out, there's also somebody else missing from the Eastern Conference now that was always in the conversation back then. Blah, 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 blah. That's a good point. There's no LeBron James there anymore. And... I'm not going to say I see Toronto beating beating Milwaukee, but I could see Toronto beating this Milwaukee because they really haven't been playing that well together. But a big thing that would shut down Milwaukee last year was Kawhi Leonard's defense stymieing Giannis. But he's not there anymore is the big problem. So now you're going to have Giannis taking his giant three-step Euro steps from half court to the basket with no giant claws to impose his field of vision. Serge Ibaka. Oh, jeez. The corpse of Serge Ibaka is going to stop him. Don't you dare disrespect right. front of the podcast Serge Ibaka like Serge that. Serge Ibaka should have been traded instead of James Harden, and you know it. <laughs> I feel like we're that meme with the guys Whoa, like, flipping okay. the tables. Dude, I love this podcast. Hello, Fountain City. <laughs> Hello, Fountain City sports media fans. I just want to bring it down a little bit because hot take Mondo's back. The Raptors are going to the Lakers jersey when we're doing a small market bias podcast. You don't get to say 
Oh. Okay. Hot Take Mondo is back. I just had a great prophecy come through. The Raptors are going to the NBA Finals, and not because of what you think. They're going to the NBA Finals because of two people. Marcus Gasol? I think not. Kyle Lowry? I think not. Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam, baby. Okay, let's say Toronto does make it to the NBA Finals. That's great. But who do they potentially wind up running into in the NBA Finals, who, as Kyle mentioned, stymied them for the better part of half a decade? Yeah, very possible. Could Well, it can actually be both. It could be LeBron or their former nemesis, You know what? Kawhi. I'm setting this right now, and this is the last thing I'll say about this. If the Toronto Raptors wind up winning the NBA Finals, I will buy a Toronto Raptors jersey customized with Nurse on the back. You heard it right here, right now. Yeah. The pride of Carol, baby. Friend of the podcast, Nick Nurse. But you would you would also get that, though, anyway. It, uh, it's true. It has to be some like crazy player like, like Chris Boucher or like Terrence Davis. <laughs> and you have to spend like $200 on it with like a special patch or I something. I am choosing yeah. this jersey <laughs> instead of the sexy retro throwback Grizzlies jersey with Morant on the back. That's how serious I am about this. Well, so the, he, here's where seeding really matters, I think. Because the Raptors have that two seed, they're going to have to go through the winner of Boston and Philly, which, again, if I mean, we'll talk about this momentarily. If Philadelphia were to pull off a miracle upset, I think Toronto would really crush them. And, you know, if, uh, as we saw today, Gordon Hayward's out for four weeks, so if Hayward's still out in the next series, that could really even the playing field there even more. And so then it becomes a question of, you know, do the Heat pull off an upset against Giannis and the Bucks? Like, how long does it take the Bucks to get together after they lost game one to Orlando today? So, you know, if the Raptors do go to the Eastern Conference Finals, I could see a, a good chance where Armando's prophecy comes true just because of the matchups necessary to get there. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a really big factor that Simmons won't be on the 76ers team because I've been outspoken that I'm not a huge fan of Simmons or the 76ers as a whole. But if we're going to talk about matchups, you know, I don't think Toronto matches up well against a healthy 76ers team. Albeit that's a moot point at this point because, you know, we are sans Simmons, but... And with that, this is actually a perfect segue. Thank you, Kyle, and thank you, Reese. Are the 76ers good enough to beat the Celtics now that we know that Gordon Hayward is out? No. I'm sort of sitting with Kyle. I think the 76ers could beat the Celtics. It's, there's crazier upsets in the realm of possibility in this NBA playoffs. But if they do, I think they're going to be fed to Toronto at that point. You know, It's just like, when does the car literally let out that last... <laughs> and die <laughs> i love that yeah okay so i i agree with you i think that the celtics are probably going to beat the 76ers but don't count the 76ers out because now that you have gordon hayward out you now have two pretty good scores on the celtics right you have jalen brown and jason tatum now they can kind of focus their defense on those people and of course they have to keep out for kemba walker as well but now you don't have that decoy which was pretty important for the celtics to have it was important for hayward to be like out on the wing and then creating that offense and then dishing it out to tatum or to jalen brown like that was a pretty important piece to have and now that you don't have it the the uh, 76ers are actually very defensive minded i like what their team is right now Embiid, horford tobias harris and don't sleep on alec burks 
because he scored 18 points last night and looked really good down the stretch in the fourth quarter, which those games can go either way in the fourth quarter. We're in the bubble, baby. Anything can happen. I thought Burks was just that really old meme with that, like, Katherine Heigl-looking nine-year-old in the Girl Scout uniform who's like, oh my gosh, Burks. (laughs) I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't remember the Burks meme? I know exactly what you're talking about. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I I don't. The, the meme is called the Irma Gerd meme. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. All right. And with that, we're going to go to our last top- topic before we go to awards. Uh, a very important topic, I think. Uh, last night, we saw the Mavs and the Clippers with a pretty close game and definitely not what I thought it was going to be, especially because Christoph Porzingis had two technicals and was ejected. And our resident anger management participant, Kyle, has something to say about that. Listen. Oh, I, I just, oh man. I, okay, first of all, anybody who didn't realize this series was going to be epic was kidding themselves because the Clippers have been so inconsistent, paired with the load management, of course, which is much maligned on social media, although I don't fault anybody for load managing because the NBA is hard, so fine. But uh, the fact is the Clippers haven't been playing at full force together and they haven't been playing particularly well. Also, Dallas has been looking really good. So, uh I had ranked this series in in the top four potentially best series of this first round, which to me is Rockets Thunder, Clippers Dallas, Miami Indiana, and maybe less so now, but uh, obviously Celtics Sixers. Yo, I'm going to be Kentucky Fried Chicken because I'm going to straight up double down on what Kyle said there. I got two things to say. Number one. I'm with you on the Clippers. Everyone's been saying all season, just wait till the playoffs. The Clippers are turning it on. They'll turn it on. We're in the playoffs, and I'm still waiting for them to fully sync up and turn it on and then turn into, like, you know, the Megazord that everybody told me they're going to. They're obviously so talented. It's almost impossible for them to fail cataclysmically, but they're still looking pretty rough around the edges, which in this Western Conference might not be good enough to get you to the finals, let alone when you got the crosstown rivals sitting cross-bubble from you. Secondly, I really hate to say this, but remember that crush on somebody you had in, like, middle school and you hated that you had a crush on them, but you did? Dude, I got a big old crush on the Dallas Mavericks, man. There we like, go. I love, I love that they're, like, the all Eastern Europe all-stars with Porzingis, with Bobin, with Luca, they're so much fun to watch because they all play this like, I don't know, just ethereal like floating style basketball. It's so fundamentally sound and it's like impossible to stop them and you don't know why. Yeah, I'm going to jump in exactly what you just said. It was scary to watch Doncic square up against Leonard when Kawhi could not guard Luka in the fourth quarter. And I was like, like, Luka has arrived. Remember, this is Luka's first playoff series ever. And he scored 42 points last night, which is second to only Michael Jordan, who scored, I forgot how many he scored against the Celtics, right? 61, I think, against the Celtics. So he is the second youngest player to ever score uh, that many points in his first playoff series. So yeah, definitely don't count the Mavs out uh, as long as Christoph Porzingis doesn't get fouled out or get ejected or whatever, which is funny because Doc Rivers was talking to one of the reporters and he was like, yeah, it's actually really sad that 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 Christoph Porzingis got, got ejected. 
Although you know Doc Rivers in his head is like crip walking over there like, thank God he's out of here. Now Montrez Harrell can play basketball, which is probably what happened because he is, yeah, because he is a big defensive threat as much as he is an offensive threat, especially for the Clippers, who Clippers aren't super big, right? You have Montrez Harrell, which is pretty good. Marcus Morris doesn't really play in the paint. Like, he, he played really well. Actually, last night, three three for six in three-point range. And then you got Zubac. Here's the thing. That ejection should never have happened, not only because the actual infraction was literally Porzingis getting in there to defend Luka, but also because, for me, the reason the ejection happened is because Porzingis had already riled up the refs with his reaction to the foul earlier in the first half and gotten teed up there. And so... I don't know if he, you know, all these guys have a certain relationship with the refs, so I don't know if Porzingis has had some sort of relationship with this refereeing team anyway, or if they were just irritated by him that day, or maybe he said something that they didn't like, but I thought it was really unconscionable. And and again, I mean, Dallas still stuck with them, so it didn't even totally sink their chances of winning the game, but I thought it was an unfortunate way to start the series. I'm going to say this, as much as I love Chris Stops and I love these Mavericks, this goes for the entire league. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. If you insist on playing in a league where you flop and you flail (laughs) to get little soft calls when somebody brushes your shoulders, you're going to wind up with soft little technical fouls as well, and that's exactly what happened to Chris Stops. Part of the issue was they did get him for kind of inciting, and when you look at the replay, yes, he was partially defending Luca, he went in between the two of them but he wasn't facing Luca, saying it's not worth it step back he was facing the other team and saying something so he was technically inciting is it soft yes but like I said you want to play a soft game of basketball it's going to come with soft technical fouls Kristaps didn't throw the first shove how's he inciting because like I said he came over which is fine, and if he would have been talking to Luca and pushing him back, sure, but he came over and was pushing against the other player. He wasn't keeping his teammate out. He was gone. Love it. Wish Kristaps were on my team. Thunder up. I'm going to I'm going to wrap up this and say that the Clippers are still going to win the series. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to seven games, uh, but it's probably going to go to six because the Clippers are still playing well. They still played very well. Kawhi Leonard scored 29 points. Paul George scored 27 points. Lou Williams, even though like I don't like him because he used to be a Laker and he played really well in Lakers. And and then Marcus Morris, who who would have thought Marcus Morris was going to score 19 points for the Clippers? I actually thought it was really funny when they got it, when there was this like battle for the Morris twins. I was like, who cares? Well, that's why Mar- Marcus Morris can spread the floor. He can play defense. He's actually kind of fast. Um, so I actually like the way they play. Yeah. Marcus Morris hitting threes, dishing dimes, playing well in the paint, good defense, all of it. Nobody wants to play the Mavericks. That's all I'm saying. Nobody should want to play the Mavericks. Absolutely. And, and Reese, to your point, I think in less than five years, I think it's going to be the, the uh, battle of the West is going to include the Mavericks. Just give them a couple of years, give them one more piece too, and also leave it to Mark Cuban to find someone to compliment these players. Cause Mark, Mark's done that in the past. He was able to form a, a scrub team that worked perfectly with a Dirk. So I wouldn't put it past Mark Cuban to find a pretty good team to put it with those two players. Hey, welcome back to Fountain City Sports Media. This is actually our first beer review together that we're going to do, I think, right? 
I think this is the first, yeah, with the gang all together doing a beer review. Feels pretty good. All right. Well, welcome, fans. Oh, yeah, because Noah took my last one. A shout out to Noah. Thank you for replacing me that day. You did a great job. Hope to have you back on the podcast one day. But for now, it's time for the boys to have that beer review. Oh, actually, Kyle, you're not doing the beer review. You're just commentating. I'm salty because the Thunder are playing right now, and I'm not drinking beer at the moment, so why am I even here? Well, I gotta ask, are you as salty as the beer I'm reviewing today, the Tequila Barrel Lime Goza from Boulevard Brewing Company? Dude! Good segue. I love that. Way to keep the peace. Yeah, I'm dropping in with this beer. This is one of my unsung favorites. It happens once a year. It's it's one of our McRib beers, I call it. Uh, but it's a traditional German-style sour. It's gonna be light. It's gonna be sea salty. I just can't wait to get it in my glass. So without further ado... Ooh, that sounds good. Armando, what's the first thing that we uh, review on our beer reviews? The first thing we're going to review is aroma. All right. Let's get an aroma on this. Yeah, right off the nose, you get that, that kind of buttery popcorn smell that you get with a lot of these gozas. It smells tart. It smells tangy. But at the same time, it smells very savory, like I said, like buttered popcorn. So for aroma on this guy... It does a great job for its style. I'm going to come in with a 9 on Aroma. Whoa! Come out blazing today. Okay. Wow. An appearance on this beer. Uh, so it gets about an inch ahead when you pour it normally. And it's, it's kind of fun because then it goes down to like a half inch of head and stalls there for a while. And then the head disappears. It's a very uh, carbon-filled head. Actually, a very uniform head as well. The appearance of the beer itself, it's a semi-translucent... Uh, geez, how do I describe this opaque, like, neon yellow color? It's almost like if, if you tone down the green factor in Mountain Dew minus the bubbles. <laughs> uh, it's a very, it's, it's a very attractive looking beer, all things considered. Again, this is what I want my gozas to look like. Sometimes they look too hazy, almost like you let a, you know, almost like you let something dissolve in your beer, you know, like a, like an Alka-Seltzer sort of thing. But this is hazy for the right reasons. So I'm going to give appearance to this beer. It's an attractive eight, solid eight. Excellent. All right. Now what we've all been waiting for, let's see what that flavor's like. All right. Flavor. Flavortown. Take us to Flavortown, Reese. Oh, man, that's a good beer. Here's the fun thing. It's one of those beers that you know how you need to, to breathe out to fully have, like, the molecules go into your nose so you can actually, like, sense a taste? You actually get flavor from this before you breathe out. Your tongue is met with this, like, bitter, tangy acidity. And then when you exhale, that's when all those flavors from the nose of it are really released. You get a whole bunch of lime mixed with that, again, sea salty butter popcorn scent you got on the nose. So for looking like a duck smelling like a duck and winding up being a duck i'm gonna give the flavor of this beer an 8.7 excellent shout out to my fellow deviated septum gang can't smell shit. yeah deviated septum also shout represent. out to noah for for incorporating um like 0. 0.7 0. 0.3 0. 0.2 into our podcast <laughs> See, he's a pioneer, man. How, how many other things were created on accident? Slinkies, <laughs> silly putties, WD-40? 
Babies. Babies? Okay, and now we're going to go into our fourth category, mouthfeel. Okay, so mouthfeel is going to kind of play off what I said with the flavor of it, in that it's super fun that your mouth is perceiving the, the tart lime flavor before you actually swallow. So, it sits nice in the mouth. I know I gave that, that kind of garish Mountain Dew uh, viscosity appearance grade on there, but you don't get that big, fuzzy, hairy sweetness sticking in your mouth. This beer is really cool because you sip it, it sits and it vanishes, not super quick, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. So for mouthfeel on this beer, again, this is everything I want in a light sour. I'm throwing an 8.8 .8 this time for mouthfeel. Sweet. Aftertaste. Aftertaste is pretty constant. Nothing really changes. You're not getting any sort of like, you know, crazy hops or really crazy malt out of the aftertaste. The one thing I would say about this beer that's a little bit different than some Gozes I've had is that it's almost equivalent to like an oaked Chardonnay in the way you get that like buttery kind of woody finish that's very subtle on the end. So for aftertaste in this beer, I'm going to hit it up with another... Another 8-8, eight, eight, man, shooting straight 8s. Let's go. Do that be really fun and, like, super nerdy is, like, when we all meet up again, we should get, like, the same beer but from different breweries and see what we, like, the same tequila barrel-aged sour and but do, like, four different breweries and see. That would that actually be a fun podcast. Just compare them all. Absolutely. Pepsi challenge that. That'd be awesome. Last but not least, the title that is ever-changing, BDQ, which means Bacon Drinking Queen. Uh, the bacon drinking queen on this beer is pretty high in my opinion. There's is that a lot the of things best going you can do. <laughs> Are you even all listening, right, ladies and gentlemen? We all know that BDQ doesn't stand for bacon drinking queen. So for the beverage drinkability quotient on this guy, there are a lot of things going for it. Not gonna lie. First off, like I said, it's very attractive, both like viewing it, smelling it, and tasting it. There is a whole lot of flavor. For a beer that is 4.2%, you get down in that territory, you usually start sacrificing a lot of things. Not in this beer. Other things I like about it, this might be a little bit kind of wishy-washy, but the can art's really cool. The way I'm saying, it's got this like very robin's egg kind of teal background with a yellow diamond. And I've had this beer I don't know how many times, and this is the first time today that I'm realizing there's like a Dia de los Muertos sugar skull kind of as like the background image that you have to like look past in order to see. So the fact that it keeps showing me new things every time I have it, I'm giving this a BDQ of a solid nine. All right. That, those are some bold scores there, Reese. I'm really excited to try that beer. Is it National Distro on that? I think I'm going to try to find it now. I think it should be National Distro. Okay. Uh, I have the website pulled up right here, so I'm going to find Boulevard near you. All right, Reese just reviewed his brewery, and I will do the same on mine. I'll be reviewing a Citra Extra Extra Juicy Bit, which is a double IPA. And for those of you that don't know what a double IPA is, some people think that it's like double the amount of alcohol in a regular IPA, which is not true. A double IPA is just double the amount of ingredients that you put into a regular IPA. So for example, just using numbers as an example, if you put 100 hops of Citra in a regular IPA, you're putting 200 into a double IPA. So just so people know and people know what that means. So this Citra Extra Extra, like I said, double IPA, it's also double dried hop. 
And for those of you that don't know what dry hopping is, you don't dry hop the hop while you brew the beer. The hop is already dried before you put it in the brewing process. So we actually um, have, we actually purchased them already uh, dried. And these are double dried, which is pretty cool made with extra citrus, so I'm excited to have it. It's one of my favorite beers at The Weldworks Brewing. And here we go. All right, gonna pour into a glass. And this is a real glass, because I know you guys remember I sometimes never had glasses, and I just did it out of the can. Hear that, dear listeners? Armando lied to you. Well, this was before we were public. This is gonna be Patreon content. So if you're listening from Patreon, yes, I did lie to our Patreon viewers. Are you, are you, what's next? You're gonna tell me that BDQ doesn't stand for Bacon Diva Queen? <laughs> okay, here we go. Aroma. One of my favorite beers because it has one of my favorite aroma, like, profiles in it. You have the obvious floral, which you get in a lot of our hazy IPAs, um, but you get different types of fruit in here. You get pineapple, which is probably my favorite fruit that I like in beer. Um, sorry, like a flavor. We don't actually put pineapple in beer. It's just a flavor that comes from the hop. Um, a lot of pineapple, some mango, which is nice. It kind of mellows it out. And melon. You know, those are like very subtle fruits, I think, right? Not too acidic. Um, a lot of flavor in them. So the aroma I'm going to, the sorry, the rating I'm going to give for aroma is also bold like Reese. I'm going to give it a 9.3. Wow. Oh, wow. You guys are coming in hot. Yeah, no, these are, we we chose some giant beers today. This is, this is a good beer review. All right, here we go. Appearance. This is super hazy. Like you cannot see a thing past this beer it looks like a glow stick like literally just like if you didn't know you would think that there's just chunks of like pineapple and melon in here but it's just pure liquid it's just incredibly hazy um and it could be because of the amount of hops that we use right we use double the amount of citra hops and i think we use el dorado yep we use el dorado and mosaic which is one of the like standard hazy profiles we have but like one of the thickest beers that I've seen that are not like milkshake IPAs or any like crazy out outlandish beer, right? Just a double hazy IPA. So appearance, incredibly hazy, incredibly orange. Pretty cool. I love it. I love that it's super hazy. Um, I'm going to give it a just solid nine, solid nine for appearance. Wow. 9.3 and nine. Like I said, I'm, uh, this is some small market bias here. Bring in the action. All right. Go into flavor. Bring the action. Ah. Uh. This one's nice, and a lot of our IPAs, you have to let them sit. Like, if it if it debuts on August 1st, you don't want to have it on August 1st. You want to let the flavors still, like, blend in the can. Like, there's still some stuff happening in the can, so, like, if it... If, if you get a very, like, high-profiled, a lot of hop in a beer... You want to wait probably a week for those for those flavors to sit to really get like the true flavor. So I've let this one sit for a little while, and I'm getting a lot of tropical fruit here. I'm getting pineapple. You're also getting this like bitterness of like orange rind as well. Some clementine. You get the melon. Dash of vanilla as well, which is pretty cool. But this one's just like so well balanced that you have that melon, but then you also have that bitterness of like a, like I said, an orange, a clementine. I love just the different flavors that you get. It's a very diverse profile on this one. Flavor, I'm going to give it an eight. Just a solid eight, not a Noah 8.3 or 8.2. I'll leave that for Noah. Nice. Okay, mouthfeel. Just like it looks, 
the way it fills in your mouth is very full. Incredibly full-bodied, right? There's so much going on in this beer, a lot of product, a lot of hops, and you feel that heavy mouthfeel, um, which is incredible. I love it. I will give it a 8.4 on mouthfeel. Okay, aftertaste. Aftertaste is a little interesting. Even though I like the clementine and the orange rind flavor on the mouthfeel, I sometimes don't like that on the aftertaste because then it just gets a little too bitter for me. And there's so much sweet going on, it sometimes ruins the aftertaste for me. Um, so I'm going to give the aftertaste because of that like orange rind clementine feel. I'm going to give it a 7 on that. And But that's just per personal preference. I know people love to have that diverse flavor in their beer, especially on the aftertaste. It's just not for me. I'm basic. Speaking about basic, Kyle, why don't you give us another um, BDQ acronym since <coughs> you're so hot and bothered? Uh, let's see. Let's go um, barometric diameter quality. <laughs> Damn it, that was good. I hate We're you. Just throwing like BDQ <laughs> adjectives together. Don't play that game with me. <laughs> I love it. I didn't say I didn't. What love did it. you think we were doing? I still like my bacon queen. Whatever. All right, so BDQ, whatever, whatever just came from from Kyle's New York Times crossword puzzle. Um, I'm gonna give BDQ. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of those lately. I can tell that. I mean, that was pretty. I mean, you do have a diverse vocabulary, but that that was a uh, pretty nuanced. Okay, BDQ. I'm going to give the BDQ an 8 because I like a lot of the stuff in the beer. It's not a beer that you can crush. Definitely not a crushable beer. If you have two of these, good night. But also <laughs> the acidity and the and the rind and the clementine you get on the aftertaste, you don't want to crush it. So because of that, it's not going to be like in the upper echelons for me. But yeah, I'll give it that grade. That sounds like a pretty good beer to me. I drink that. Both uh, playing up your home breweries today. That's nice. Yeah, shout out, shout out to Weldworks and Boulevard. Okay, and with that, we are going to go into our last segment, which is actually a really fun segment. This is our first awards ceremony here at the Fountain City Sports Media Podcast. This is what I like to call the Bubble Boy Awards, because I couldn't think of anything else, and I'm not Reese, and can think of like really witty like 1970s there's, jokes. There's got to be something better. There's got to be something better than that. Yikes! Already being roasted at my own award ceremony. Reese, Reese, what do you got? There, there's got to be something better than Bubble Boy. Uh, I love Bubble Boy. Great movie. Underrated. Uh, I liked, I liked. well, Bubble Boy for the name of the podcast is pretty good. Bubble Boy for the awards. You're naming our podcast Bubble Boy? It's it's pretty clever, not going to lie. Uh, let me Hell think. yeah. Uh, Wait, is that a movie? Oh, yes. What? <laughs> Kyle, that's why you don't like it, because you've never seen the movie. It's a movie. Oh, okay, fine. I was like, there's other things that rhyme with B. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I'm not the brightest bubble in the in the box, so to speak. I said, you don't want to be the sharpest bubble, then you'll pop. And with that, let's go into our award ceremony. Our first award today is going to be the Coach of the Bubble. Um, can we have our nominations, please? Uh, I'm going to throw out uh, Portland Trailblazers head coach Terry Stotts. I think just as everyone says that the Phoenix Suns came real hot in the bubble because nobody else was playing, I think that Terry Stotts was quietly tightening up all the nuts and bolts on his team, and it really showed in the last few games of the bubble regular season when Damian Lillard went off. 
I think that there can't really be any other choice except for Stotts and Portland because Portland's issues all the way through the regular season. Don't 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 give me that shocked look, Armando. I'm going to justify my decision. Wow, you really get you guys really just have me riled this episode. Okay, Portland's Portland's issues this entire season had to do with coming off of that great performance in the Western Conference Finals, getting to the Western Conference Finals rather last season, and then getting demolished by the Warriors. But thereafter, the whole idea was how do we make it over this sort of impasse in, like we said earlier, the, the, the murderer's row in the West. And that really disappointing start to the campaign where they started like 15 and 30 or something like that. I, I don't even remember. Um, and then tried to triage the situation by signing Mello and all that and trying to figure out when they would get Nurkic back and, and basically and how to use um, sort of the point guard duo, how to use Whiteside, how to use um, Zach Collins. So all of those issues have to do with chemistry and all those issues have to do with coaching. And so I think even more than obviously the the Suns run had to do with Booker and Aiton and Rubio sort of all getting hot. And that's not to discredit uh, the coaching staff of the Phoenix Suns, but I think the award has to go to Portland and Terry Stotts, like Reese said. Kyle, the reason why I gave you that look is because you said that the Portland Trailblazers were the most disappointed team in the NBA, and then you give the most disappointed team in the NBA the Coach of the Year Bubble Boy Award. No, it's not the Coach of the Year Bubble. It's the, it's the Coach of the Bubble exactly. Award. Exactly, and ESPN said the same don't thing. Don't twist your words on me. Come on. No, but... Yeah, and ESPN said the regular season awards don't count for <laughs> bubble play. Bubble play don't count for regular season awards. That's how it is. You can't be dipping into both okay, wait, of these wait, things. Wait, but I bet you... You flip that Lakers jersey inside out, I bet there's a big old C on the back of it, isn't there? <laughs> no, I'm just saying because Kyle said that the Portland Trailblazers, bubble and non-bubble, were the most disappointing team in the NBA for him. So how can that be if, if he's the coach of the year? I said they... No... They, they were the most disappointing before the bubble. They were the most disappointing before the bubble. The Pelicans were the most disappointing in the bubble and kind of before, but that had more to do with injuries. And subsequently, the Portland Trailblazers turned it on in the bubble after having a disappointing regular season. They're figuring it out. Stotts is boss. Okay, to to use your words against you guys. Every time you've attempted that today, it hasn't worked out well for you. That's not true. Go back to the tape. That's what you said. Fans of the podcast, please go back to whatever that was. 10 minutes, 33 seconds when Kyle said what he said. Um, but now I'm going to use Kyle's words back at him again. We talked about... This is the Bubble Awards, so the person that went undefeated should receive the Coach of the Year Award, and that goes to Monty Williams. Now, I love Monty Williams because Monty Williams never gets credit, right? Monty Williams was the head coach of the of the Hornets before Pelicans, right, with Chris Paul and Anthony Davis, but no one talks about Monty Williams developing both those players. I mean, Chris Paul was already developed, but he helped develop Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was not Anthony Davis going into what he is now, and he really hasn't gotten any credit. He was the assistant coach for the 76ers, didn't really get any credit for them meshing too for Bill Simmons, Bill, oh wow, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid coming into who they are today. So I want to give Monty Williams a credit because he hasn't gotten credit before in the past, and he deserves it because I don't think that Suns team is very good. I don't like DeAndre Ayton. I don't like Ricky Rubio. I love Devin Booker, but I don't like any of the other players. So I think for him to go out and to play really well and to, to win games against the Clippers, to win games against the Bucks, and yes, to Reese's point, Reese said that sometimes they weren't playing. 
They were still out there. Kawhi was still out there. Giannis was still out there. Paul George was still out there. Good job, Monty Williams. That was a perfectly valid argument that you don't need to like try to <laughs> twist my words to make your point. All I have to say is stats, collaborate, and listen. Terry's scary, and that's something you can't be missing. Okay. And with a with a two-thirds vote, the coach of the bubble goes to Terry, stats, collaborate, and listen. <laughs> Yay! Now we go on to our second award, Most Improved Bubble Boy. What are our nominations? I'll start. There are so many choices here, but, I mean, it has to be TJ Warren. There's no other sort of outlier. There there are lots of guys who played really well in the bubble, um, but, but it's got to be TJ Warren and the Pacers. Uh, you know, I don't think there's anybody that really sticks out to me as well. So I'm going to leave my ballot as a uh, open write-in, and I'll put T.J. Warren on there as well. <laughs> well, I mean, sorry, was there anybody who really showed up in the bubble that it's like, wow, who's this guy? There was no Scott Burrell, you know? It's like, what am I supposed to be looking for here? <laughs> Yes, I'm going to echo what everybody said. TJ Warren is a beast. He was averaging like 15 points before the bubble, and then he scores 53 on on the uh, 76ers, 34 on the Wizards, 32 on Orlando, just like crazy, 39 on LA as well. So these are like pretty good teams that he was scoring on. I think they're losing right now, though, so I think he's kind of had a little bit of a down slump right now. Yeah, they um, lost. But I love the way he played. He looked pretty fearless. Um, definitely a good sign for the Pacers because, like, the Pacers are always the 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 uh, team post-Reggie Miller where I'm like, you know, they're actually good people. I think they deserve good players. I like Victor Oladipo. I like the players that they've had, but they've never been able to really mesh. So this is great for them because DJ Warren, no one really, I mean, he played for the Suns, but he sucked on the Suns. So this is great for the Pacers. Yeah. Okay. With a unanimous decision, the most improved bubble boy goes to TJ Warren. Okay. Now going to our third award, which is not really award. I just think it's funny to roast people. As you guys know, since I've been roasting Kyle this entire show, our FS1 open wheel, closed wheel, medium wheel, wheel, wheel expert. This is just making you look bad. It's not making me look bad. Everyone loves it. Everyone loves this stuff. Like... probably like your brother and that's about it watch watch this episode get like a thousand views watch espn call us and say this is exactly what we've been missing from first take by the way shout out to your brother we still want him on the cast all right most disappointing player in the uh, in the bubble goes to what are our nominations why don't you go first me oh but mine's the best yeah but we've each taken a turn it's you're up you guys have no idea who i'm gonna pick i don't that's why i'm anxious to hear who it is okay I'm from L.A. I love L.A. I am a homer, but I am also a very big critic of teams that I love. Just like Kyle. I love Kyle, but I'm very critical of Kyle. (laughs) That's funny. So with that being said, the most disappointing player in the bubble goes to my dear friend, LeBron James. I am so, so pissed off that LeBron James... Not that, and, and and he's not even phoning it in. Like you know that he is playing hard in the play in the bubble. Like he hasn't been taking games off. His minutes haven't been restricted. Like he is giving a good effort, which pisses me off because all he does is take jump shots, which makes no sense to his skill set. Yes, he has slimmed down, but he is still 
a horse. He is still a train. He can still drive and make layups, but he is afraid to get fouled. And that is going to be our Achilles heel going into the playoffs. You can't just like try to develop another skill set in the nick of time. Like sometimes he's good at three, sometimes he's not. I've said this before in the past in our previous podcast before we gone public, which you can find on Patreon, hopefully soon, which we'll talk about later, probably. Um, I've talked about this in the past. LeBron James is a terrible jump shooter, right? He can't shoot threes. He has a terrible form. It's very stiff. And for him, the way he gets better is by repetition. He doesn't try to change the form. He just keeps shooting. And that is awful. I'm very disappointed in the way he's been playing. Anthony Davis looks like a monster, which I love. And Kyle Kuzma has been great as well, which is why we've been able to kind of keep our position where we're at. Um, I'm sure he's going to prove me wrong in the playoffs, but I was very disappointed. He's my most disappointing player. I think if the Lakers do wind up winning the finals, it will be on the sturdy brow of Anthony Davis. Uh, But if I have to put somebody as a nomination for most disappointing bubble boy, and this is going to sound like I'm just piling onto him and beating a dead horse, but I think to no fault of his own, actually, I would say Zion Williamson, mainly because, like I said, the entire point of finishing the regular season and adding a nine-seed play-in game was to get Zion into the playoffs. It didn't happen, whether because he's injured, whether because he wasn't performing at his peak and they had to kind of keep him out in case he was getting more injured. But I mean, let's be honest, who was everybody looking forward to seeing in this? Zion. Who didn't play that much, let alone well? Zion. I think you can almost extrapolate that to the entire Pelicans team, unfortunately. It wasn't really his fault. And again, as Armando said, he was on minutes restrictions and maybe didn't play particularly well. But again... The performance was just not very good. And so there's a lot of guys you can look at who haven't played quite as well as maybe we expected them to. Uh, Even like neither Kawhi nor Paul George have looked good at the same time, which is kind of odd. Uh, Similarly, like Armando said, LeBron has looked a step slow. But also I want to bring up the fact that he really might just be saving it because they had the first seed locked up. So that's a that's a possibility that he was he's been treating everything as a tune up. I think tonight's performance against the Blazers is going to be very telling. Uh, So we'll sort of reconvene and look at that. I mean, you can make the argument even before the Simmons injury, the Sixers didn't look particularly good. So there are some foibles there. But but again, all those are pretty minor. I mean, you can look at Orlando and say that they weren't playing well, but then they go out and beat Milwaukee behind Vucevic today. Like, fantastic performance. So it's like, how, how do you even look at that? So I think at the end of the day, I, I agree that we got to go with Zion. But pretty much every award, just like the title is going to be, has an asterisk next to it because it's like, what even is this right now? Although I want to give a shout out to the NBA. That's for, why it's a bubble award. Yeah. And I want to give farce. the NBA a shout out because this is pretty much the only way to do it right because they're in a bubble, which means they don't have to waste testing that should be going to like private U.S. citizens. Whereas Major League Baseball is just burning through tests all the time, right? Like the NFL is going to be burning through crazy amounts of tests. And so for, for the NBA to like do this responsibly, I think is huge. And actually, to add to that really quick, uh, shout out to the NBA for also helping develop the uh, the uh, s- saliva test that Yale has made for the NBA. And now that test is going to be uh, made to the the public. It just got FDA approved. So now the the nose swab is no longer a thing. Now people can do the saliva s- uh, swab, which is going to be much better for like children and stuff. But that was actually commissioned by the NBA. So kudos, kudos to the NBA. I'm getting my first COVID test next Tuesday. 
but I doubt the saliva one will be rolled out by then, so I think it's going to be the brain scan. Yikes. And with that, we go to our last award, the Bubble Boy MVP. And Kyle, you go first this time, because I went first and so did Reese. I've already gone first as well, but I'm happy to go first because... I think we got to give the the bubble MVP to Devin Booker. There's no other choice. I mean, that guy just carried his team to 8-0. It was awesome. Devin Booker, bubble <laughs> MVP. All right. I mean, that's cool. If, like I said, you want to make this kind of phony sprint like you're actually trying to make the playoffs when you're just doing the equivalent of, like, record stat stuffing. Come no, on, the, man. The MVP <laughs> of the bubble has to go to Damian Lillard, who clawed – who clawed to keep his team in that playoff play-in game spot, and he dropped over 40 points for his last three games, culminating in a 61, if I am not mistaken. Well, if he didn't I gotta say, miss two consecutive three free throws in the last in, in the penultimate game, it wouldn't have been an issue. Would oh, it? Dame time! Doesn't matter. The hottest player on arguably the hottest team with we just said the coach of the bubble. It's got to be Damian Lillard. I'm going to agree with Reese. The bubble MVP is Kyle's most disappointing team player, Damian Lillard. I mean, they are disappointing. It's Portland. They're the defending Western Conference finalists, and they're they're in the eight (laughs) seed barely. That is disappointing. But they have a great coach. Great coach. Lovely guy. Anyway, I digress. Whose words? Not mine. Kyle's. So... The MVP, Dame Lillard. Yes, Kyle, you are right. Just remember, small small market bias in a Lakers jersey. Woo! Born in LA. That's all I have to say. You didn't even know where I was born. How are we friends? You didn't even know where I was birthed. I did. All right. Anyway, Dame Lillard. Oh, that was Reese. I can't say anything bad about Reese. Thanks, Armando. You're welcome. You look really good in that golden jersey. That's right. Uh, uh, I hate you guys. All right. Going back, why is Damian Lillard the MVP? Kyle, you are correct. He missed some pretty big free throws, but he still played for his life for eight games, and he played for his life really well, right? He scored, let me see, 42 points against Brooklyn, 61 against the Mavs, 51 against the 76ers, and those were late game scores. Like, I was, I watched most of that Mavs game, and they were down by maybe five or six going into the like five minutes into the fourth. And that dude was showering threes, right? Nine threes that game, 11 threes against the Nuggets, eight threes against the Nets. Like that dude, Dame time is a real thing. And I'm really looking forward to the Lakers Blazers series as a basketball fan. I'm scared as a Lakers fan, but as a basketball fan, I'm very excited because they have finally meshed into like a pretty good team. They have better chemistry right now than the Lakers and Dane Lillard is not afraid of the moment, and he's trying to prove himself, right? He hasn't made it pat. Well, no, he did make the Western Conference Finals once, I think. But last year. He, he doesn't. It's he like doesn't I have, have said the, five times on this podcast today. They made it last year. I don't. I don't listen to you. I just bring you down. Anyway, <laughs> um, yes, he has a lot to prove, so he's trying to prove it now. And he played extremely well in the bubble. Therefore, with a two to one vote as we normally do here on the podcast. The award goes to Damian Lillard, MVP. We will see you in the playoffs, Damian. Love, Armando Laker fan. And with that, we have wrapped up our first NBA podcast here on Fountain City Sports Media. And remember, this is called the Small Market Biased Podcast. No matter what Kyle tells you that it's supposed to be. I said it was the Midwest Bias Podcast, but... 
Kyle had all this time to edit my notes, right? I take great notes here at Fountain City Sports Media, and no one corrected it. You shot that out in like 20 minutes, my man. I'm also going with small market bias, two-thirds vote. Two-thirds vote. Thank you for tuning into our small market bias podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and hopefully Patreon very soon. Also, like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, shoot us a DM, let us know what you think. Let us know how much you love me over Kyle or how you just love Reese and there's nothing wrong with Reese. Just let us know how it's going. And whoever you are in the Netherlands, say hi. We want to know who you are. There's one of you. That's awesome. I hope it's Nico Rosberg. Thanks again. Just kidding. He lives in Germany. We love you, Nico. We'll see you next time. Mm